to the Fit for Privacy podcast with Punit Bhatia. This is the podcast for those who care about their privacy. Here, your host, Punit Bhatia, has conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas, and opinions relating to privacy, data protection, and related matters. Be aware that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not legal advice. Let us get started. If you're looking for a job, you want to attract or you want to go to the best company and you want to know, how do I find my ideal job? And if you are a hiring manager, you want to have the best talent. So how do you ensure that you are getting the best talent or as a job searcher, how do you ensure that you are getting the best job? And more importantly, what are the tricks of doing that? Well, we have a very interesting guest named Jared Kosalia, who's my dear friend as well. He's the CEO of True Staffing Partners and he helps people get their dream jobs. So we're going to have a fascinating conversation with him because they released what we call the data privacy job report for 2022. While you can of course download it from their website, let's go and talk to Jared and ask some questions around how can we find the best talent and how can job seekers find the best job? So welcome, Jared. How are you doing? Great to be back with you. I'm doing great. Happy uh, summertime. Indeed, happy summertime. So we are going to talk about what we call the data privacy job report for 2022. Tell me, what is it? So this is a jobs report put out by my organization, True Staffing Partners. It focuses exclusively and explicitly on the data privacy jobs market. And what it really aimed to do is to give guidance to both job seekers and hiring managers on what is happening in a very tumultuous, complicated, fast-moving, ever-changing job market, both because of the industry of data privacy and just in general, how it's evolving and maturing, but also coming out of the pandemic and how work is forever changed as a result of the pandemic and how that too is dramatically affecting uh, the data privacy job market. And it gives guidance on everything from timeline to hire, to how to talk about your program and its maturity model, to salary information and what different job titles are commanding, uh, and a lot more. Wow. And I'm tempted to ask, how can somebody get access to it? Of course, we'll talk about it. Yeah, of course. You can visit our website, uh, truestaffingpartners.com. That's T R U staffingpartners.com and download a copy request to download a copy it's completely free it's available to anyone and everyone who wants a copy and we're happy to share it with the world wow i have when we talk about data privacy job reports i've heard about the iapp data privacy salary survey so which kind of focuses on how much a privacy professional is getting based on experience and all that and of course some people say it's us centric of course we let people decide but how is this one different? So I'm so glad you asked that question because it really is very different. And the difference is very simple. A salary survey like the IAPPs and others that are out there in all sorts of different industries, not just privacy, generally go and request people to volunteer information about what they're making uh, out in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Our data comes from actual jobs that have actually been taken, that actually occurred in the timeframes that we've discussed 
And so the data for me is a little bit more authentic and immediate. Mm -hmm. And it's not voluntary. It's these are the people who changed jobs, many of them through True, but some that we're documenting that have moved not through True or that took jobs that we, we who we were working with, but wound up taking a job with somebody else. We have all this information. I mean, we're really, really um, uh, collecting the data that's necessary to be able to put out this kind of information so that the market can adjust. So do I get it right that it's the data about people who change jobs through true stuffing? Correct. That's related so, along with other data that you had. Correct. So it's it, the inflection point is at the time someone actually changes a job, right? And that's the other difference about a salary survey. You may survey someone's salary information, but they may have been sitting in the same job for five, six, seven years. And that may have a completely different impact on what their compensation is or how they got hired, what the timeline to hire was or what their title was than, say, somebody who's switching companies and mm -hmm. changing organizations in order to move financially or vertically up. And so what we're presenting in this data jobs report is that inflection point data at the time someone changes a job versus what somebody may be making in a job that could be based on great performance um, and, and hyper accelerated earning potential, or sometimes mm -hmm. a lack of, of accelerated earning potential because they've sat in the same company in the same job for so long and have only gotten incremental increases in base compensation while they've been there. Meanwhile, people in the market in 2021 and the first quarter of 2022, we're getting anywhere from a 22 to 30% increase in base compensation at that inflection point where they changed the jobs. Wow. So maybe let's go through the journey of a privacy job and start with maybe the hiring managers, if it's okay. Please. So when you want to hire somebody, what are your challenges these days? And especially because when we were three or five years back, the challenges were more like, there are not enough people in the market. There are not enough knowledgeable staff. Nowadays, when I see, it's slightly different. It's not about finding people. It's about finding the right people with the right knowledge because everybody says I have five years of experience in GDPR. <laughs> so what do you see as the challenges for us? Every hiring? GDPR experience is not equal. I, I think that's why we're laughing, right? Because yeah. um, one person's experience in GDPR may be very different than another, regardless of the temporal you know, equivalent. Yeah. I, I think my answer is going to surprise you, Paneet. I think the greatest challenge that hiring managers are having right now is actually articulating the uniqueness and the value proposition of joining their program to potential job wow. seekers. And, and our jobs report goes into that, right? Our jobs report is not just filled with data and data points, although those are very useful, particularly in allowing hiring managers to evangelize mm -hmm. to their stakeholders around things specifically like compensation or speed of hire. But to your point, I think the more challenging thing is actually verbalizing and articulating where they are in their maturity model, being able to articulate it simply and honestly, right? I mean, these are the cornerstones of, of privacy, right? And trust, simplicity and, and transparency and, uh, and entice people to work with them. You know, the onus a lot of the times is on the hiring managers 
to sell the candidate. And that's a big adjustment for a lot of people that have been in leadership roles for a really long time, where the expectation is the job seeker is the eager beaver looking to work for their organization. Meanwhile, every job seeker who was in privacy in 2021 had a minimum of two, but an average of three job offers, not including counter offers at that inflection point when they changed a job. So whoever you're talking to, to hire for it, they're talking to multiple other people. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a shortage of talent necessarily. It's just that the talent that is highest, uh, most desirable right now and in the highest demand is getting a lot of attention from a lot Interesting. of Interesting. So you say it's a job seekers market right now. It is. I mean, we're we're coming out of what I would call the peak. So Q1 of 2022, we saw salaries increase at an average of 30% on the base, which was a increase of the average of 2021, which was 22%. So mm-hmm. we're saying to ourselves, this is this is the end, right? This is this is the peak. Because anything higher than a 30% increase on base compensation at the point of hire is unhealthy yeah. for the job market, right? It's too much. Indeed. Um, people will have to raise prices. People won't be able to afford talent. People will start to compromise other things. And they are. I mean, we're seeing that out there. Both candidates and clients are looking to compromise certain things in order to get other things they want that are more valuable in their priority lists, whether it's a job they seek or a candidate they want to hire. But we're starting to see that level back off, particularly at the mid-market level when we talk about privacy analysts and program managers I would say that directors and CPOs are still getting a a good premium out there for changing jobs. I don't know if it's quite 30%, but we're still in the 22, 23 plus percent for what I would say is a CPO or a director or a regional director. Um, They're still commanding pretty significant increases in comp. That's interesting. And do you see then this shift continuing or if this shift continues, how do you see this evolving the hiring manager challenges in coming years? Yeah, to, just to comment and, and piggyback off my last comment, because it'll help it make more sense. There are fewer jobs for CPOs and directors of privacy programs than there were six, eight months ago, right? So they may still be commanding a premium, but there isn't the same level of volume that we saw. We think that's going to change. What we're seeing a massive amount of volume for are program managers, program directors, privacy engineers, privacy analysts, and that upper to mid-tier of privacy professional with call it three to six years of experience, privacy Mm -hmm. attorneys that are on the more, call it junior end, where they only have two to four years experience, that's where we're really seeing the highest amount of demand and the volume increasing at exponential rates, which is why I say, you know, that, that sweet spot candidate that's in that market with call it three to five years experience of privacy and is commanding somewhere between 100 and 165 on the base, depending on if they're a lawyer or engineer or what have you, um, those people are getting a lot of attention and, and are getting, there are going to be a lot of jobs for people like that out there. Interesting. And in that case, if I'm a hiring manager, how would you recommend me to run the interview? Because you're changing the goalpost. You're saying I need to convince people. So it starts with, in my view, then writing the job description itself. So how can I, as a hiring manager, basically package my job description in a way that it differentiates me and it attracts me and allows me to retain or even attract the best privacy professionals. Well, let's talk about attraction and then we'll talk about differentiation because I think the two are tactically different in terms of how hiring managers approach. In in terms of attraction, um, the first thing I would say is you've got to talk about the 
impact opportunity that the privacy professional is going to make at your organization and stop trying to sell candidates, particularly those hot mid-market candidates that everyone wants, on what the three to five year career plan looks like at your company. Guys, I hate to break it to you, and I'm astonished by this reality, but tenure is probably not even in the top five things that hiring managers consider when they look at privacy professionals. So we're not in a marketplace where some where my clients are saying to me, hey, listen, mm-hmm. I only want people that have been at the same job for five years because I really need someone with tenure. I can't even think of a client that said that to me in the last six months for somebody who's in that three to five year range. Why? Because privacy professionals in that mid range are not staying in their jobs three to five years. You're lucky if you keep them two and a half. And if you mm-hmm. do keep them two and a half, they're probably moving into or expecting to move into an elevated position of responsibility after two, two and a half years. And if you can't provide that, someone else will. So what's the impact opportunity? I see too many job descriptions where they talk about the three to five year career plan and people aren't looking for that. You know, People want to make an impact. They want to know what they're going to be doing in the first 90 to 120 days. And that's the first way to think about structuring your approach with candidates. Talk about impact. And that's attraction, right? The second mm-hmm. piece is differentiation. It always comes down to one thing, specificity. If you don't have specificity in your job description or in your, your expectations of people, then you're not going to differentiate. So what have you done that is unique or special or valuable, whether it's institutionalizing new technology, where you are in that process, whether it's moving into new countries where you're going to be beholden to new regulations, whatever that might be, you want to really be very specific about that. A lot of job descriptions that we help edit are what I would call catch-alls, where hiring managers kind of put everything that they wish they could have and want, uh, and that scares people away, right? Um, So you also have to be specific about what this person's going to do. What's the impact, level of specificity, that's going to give you both attraction and then them feeling like there's something specific that they can differentiate themselves both internally and for them individually, professionally. So if you talk about these things to do, is there something that they should not do, that the red line they should not cross? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a red line to cross, but there, you know, I'll give some advice about things that I've seen hiring managers do that undo deals, right? Yeah. The first is they, they do exactly what they hate candidates doing, which is um, they talk negatively. Right. They're like, I I feel better if I get all, you know, my worries and hesitations about what might be a negative experience for you off my chest and on the table during the interview process. And they kind of air their dirty laundry about, hey, we just want to make sure you know that this could happen or this, you know, this person might be difficult to work with when you come into the program. And, you know, look, if a candidate said that about their current employer, if somebody was talking negatively about their boss, the feedback from my hiring manager would be, I don't know, they talked kind of negatively about their boss and they complained about their job. And I don't know, I'm just not feeling it. The same advice applies to customers. No privacy program is perfect. I don't think mature privacy candidates or even inexperienced privacy candidates expect every job or every program to be perfect. Um, But they do want to be sold on the opportunity. They want to hear more about the good than they do the bad on their first, second, third date before you get married and come to work for, for them, right? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because people feel like transparency means um, complete exposure sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a fine line between complete exposure and enough transparency to see through and have a very realistic expectation about 
what employment here will look like. Yeah. So then maybe switching sides, going to this person who wants to be hired, what would you tell them? Like what's going on in the market? Would you recommend them to stay where they are? Would you recommend them to start looking for maybe a parallel move or a move up? Or, and if they were to go up or, or change, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of questions and I would probably start by answering it yeah. with, a, with a question, <laughs> which is what I ask every candidate that we interview before we take them on as a client that we would represent to our customers. Um, what do you want? I, I mean, I come from a theater background, Puni, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I was a theater major. I went to NYU. I fell into this business in a roundabout way, like a lot of other people. Um, but what's your motivation, man? <laughs> you know, what's your motivation? So if you don't know why you're motivated to go to market, you've got to figure that out first before you can get what you want. If you don't know what you want, how can you get it? So the first thing is really figuring out what you want. And if you want more money, it's out there. If you mm -hmm. want to work at more mature programs, it's out there. If you're working at a really mature program, if you're working in big tech and you'd love to go work at something smaller, it's out there. If you want to work at pre-IPO companies, mm -hmm. that's starting to be out there. If you want to work at Fortune 1000, it's out there. Um, you know, look, I, I, the advice I would give you is really think about what you want to get out of the job move, especially if you're going to work with an agency like mine, because the more you have ideas about that and, you know, are open-minded about alternative mm -hmm. ideas that might present themselves, um, the better your search process will go. You don't want to start interviewing before you know what you're looking for, right? Yeah. And for a, somebody looking for a job, would you have any other suggestion? Finding out your why, that's good. Do you want to tell them that look for a salary bracket if you're looking for this position or just go with the flow or contact you? How, does, how should they go about it? I mean, look, I'll be really candid. When it comes to privacy professionals, if you've got more than six to 12 months of experience, even if you've got six to 12 months of experience, you really should be represented because there's not a standardization in the industry right now that helps you really understand either geographically or in terms of titling, what jobs mm -hmm. are titled, what a job really is, how it fits into the ecosystem, what it will pay. People are not advertising salaries on job postings. And I think one of the most damaging things a candidate can do for their job search is go online, see hundreds of different privacy jobs posted, and just start sending their resumes out to all of them. That's the worst thing you can do. Because what happens when you do that is you usually go into some kind of AI portal where some technology is sifting through you're parsing your resume amongst hundreds and hundreds of others, most of whom are not privacy professionals or even remotely qualified for that job. And, you know, you don't get a human eye on, on your mm -hmm. resume necessarily right away and necessarily ever. Um, and at least with my agency, there's always human eyeballs on every resume that comes through. Yeah, we're using machine learning to do all sorts of things to create a better, more curated experience for our candidates both passive and active job seekers. But at the end of the day, if you send us your resume and you're a privacy professional, you're going to get at least two, probably three sets of human eyes that take a look at it and multiple people that are going to talk to you about your career, talk to you about the clients and job opportunities that are out there and help prepare you, not just for figuring out what you want, but figuring out how to ask the right questions and articulate your own personal value proposition on an interview. Okay. And from a privacy job seekers perspective or even otherwise, has the job market changed, especially in the course of pandemic or since the pandemic? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that's changed is 100% of our interviews, and this is all in the data privacy jobs report, 100% of all of our interviews, and this has not changed in the second quarter of 2022, are virtual. No one's doing first round interviews in an office ever again. Those days are over. All first round interviews are going to be virtual. So in some ways, I think this really benefits the candidate for two reasons. One, because all first round interviews are virtual, the speed of hire has accelerated. What used to be a three to six month process for a mid-market professional is now three to six weeks. People are more available to interview more quickly. And the interview doesn't put this pressure on the candidate of having them dress up, feeling uncomfortable. I mean, you and I both have our, our swag on today, you know, and, and, and are very comfortable in our homes. Um, it takes the pressure off of them showing up in an, in an environment they've never been in before that's totally foreign, that they're expected to perform at their best, at their most polished. I mean, it's, it, it's a high expectation of, of people and not yeah. all people perform under those circumstances at their best or at their most authentic What's interesting about the pandemic is that this culture of Zooming, this interviewing virtually from home has moved the needle from an emphasis, particularly with privacy professionals, from polish to authenticness. And that switch, which is a forever switch in my opinion, especially in privacy, is a mm -hmm. really big one. So now the expectation is, hey, can, can you show up at our office and be your most polished and show us just how professional you are? That's not what people are looking for anymore in a first interview. What they're looking for now are, can you be yourself? Can you be your most authentic self? You're sitting in your home. You're in your own world and environment that in theory you feel most comfortable in, most your nest. Can you be your most authentic self with us in a first round Zoom Teams, you know, Google Meet interview? And if the answer is yes, um, chances are you're going to have a hyper-accelerated future process. Now, here's the other thing to remember about the process. 90% of our second and all future round interviews are also virtual, even mm -hmm. if the job requires in-office hybrid mandates. The interviews are still generally virtual, 90%. One, one out of every 10 makes you come into an office, and most of those are executive-level searches where they're requiring actual physical in-office interaction uh, with the candidate. So you've got to get really good at interviewing remotely from home. This is the future. This is how jobs will be done. And companies that do not keep this going and try to make people come back to an office, they're just going to lose on speed. They'll just get beat. Candidates and privacy will have three or four other jobs before they even get them through two rounds of interviews because that'll take two to four weeks and they're off the market by then. That's interesting. So as you see that things will remain hybrid at the best not getting into not getting into what do we say the not getting into the aspect of fully normal or fully in office at least in the short to medium term i just don't see it happening i mean, I, I just think the whole culture of work for americans in particular which is where i sit and i think have been the most hyperbolic in forcing people into an office um the reluctance is so extreme that that's what's maintaining in a lot of circumstances the momentum of people switching jobs in the marketplace it's because they don't want to go into an office and as their companies begin to force them to do so they immediately go to market interesting so people are happy with the way things are that is they more require online, less they require it they, they let's not mince words they require it and if the employers continue to say it's five days a week and in an office, 
they are going to either have months before they can fill positions or they're going to wind up hiring well below the caliber expectations of the kind of candidate they're looking to hire because most of them will find other jobs that will allow them to be virtual or partially virtual. Also, it's two-way street. Even uh, not only people are saying no, they are even willing to switch, even willing to change if somebody pushes them. The number one motivator. I mean, it hasn't changed, right? The number one reason people come to us and say, I want to switch jobs is because they do not want to come back to an office. That is the number one reason. Interesting. And I was going through your report uh, just before this, uh, and I saw that you suggest that even entry-level professionals have a very good chance. So if somebody is coming out of the college, has just done, what do we say, a law degree or any other degree, and then let's look at in both, if somebody has done the law degree and somebody hasn't done the law degree, what do they need to do to get into the job? Because they don't have experience. They maybe will understand privacy. Maybe they will do a CIPPE or something. So how can they best or not best? How can they increase their chances of getting hired? Because the expectations are low and they can bring to the table very little. So what do they have to bring to the table? Well, I, don't, I don't know if what they bring to the table is very little. I, I mean, look, let's start with lawyers versus non-lawyers. Um, lawyers need to be open to non-lawyer jobs. I think that's the first piece of advice I would give most lawyers because the market is shifting and we're starting to see more and more jobs in operations where a JD might be preferred or desired, but not required. And you're not practicing law in that position. But I mean, this position, you know, could be your way into the industry that could lead to future positions where you are practicing law, um, specifically around privacy. So that's the first piece of advice is if you're right out of school and you've got a JD, um, quite frankly, you might find the operations roles much more interesting, the program roles much more interesting than sitting in a contracts farm working on ad tech contracts and, you know, follow the sun style, uh, you know, at, at a vendor or law firm. Um, but in general, I think people have to show ambition. Um, why should an employer invest in you if you haven't invested in yourself? I speak at and advise a number of law school students at a number of law schools all over the United States to start taking their IAPP certification trainings before they graduate law school, uh, because having them as they go out into the world of like, well, I was in law school. I knew I wanted to do something with privacy. I just found it fascinating. I got the certification while I was in school. I, I mean, that just shows to a future employer that that's somebody that they would want to invest in. So. How have you invested in yourself? How are you articulating that self-investment in terms of ambition and also its value proposition to your education? And how are you leveraging that when you're soliciting for potential employment? So that would be my advice. So what I was saying was essentially you're saying you do need the privacy knowledge, but not in a great depth because you're fresher, but you do need to have a story. You do need to be able to sell yourself. And that's where the emphasis is more on the soft skills. Because you need to bring in why am I interested? What's my ambition? How does it serve me? All those things. Well, so and that's... why it's important to you. I mean, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, because I didn't start recruiting in privacy. I started in legal technology and e-discovery and cybersecurity and, you know, found my way into privacy and fell in love with it. And I talk about all the reasons why privacy is important to me personally, mm -hmm. not just professionally. And I think candidates that are entry level have to find that connectivity to privacy. Why is it important? You know, it's funny you said that <laughs> I'm on mute was the most spoken phrase over the last two years. I was going to say I want to work from home was the most spoken phrase <laughs> over the last two years. Um, and and I and I think, you know, 
second, second to that is um, I want someone to invest in me, right? Like pe mm -hmm. people want their companies to feel like they're investing in them mm -hmm. uh, and that they're learning something new on the job that they may not have learned before, whether they're experienced or entry level in privacy. So, mm -hmm. you know, this goes back to your question earlier of what hiring managers can do to attract people, help tell them what they're going to learn that they may not already know, identify what they don't already know, and then help fill those gaps for them the same way that you're looking for someone to fill the gaps in your program um, that they can help contribute to. It's a two-way street, you know? Yeah. And we mentioned, we'll talk about the law graduates and the non-law. So the non-law, I think the things will remain same, isn't it? Um. Kind of. I mean, with non-law students, if they've already developed an interest in privacy, um, you know, I, I think it's it, that's great. But where is their interest? Right. I, I would generally tell those professionals to find more technical opportunities and, and leverage their technical skills. Like if you're coming from an IT background and you've done software implementation at an enterprise level and help do customizations of workflows in governance or in e-discovery, these are very transferable skills over into a privacy program. And so kind of figuring out maybe what you've done that is applicable, that is not centered around the law. But at the end of the day, I will say this, hiring managers still expect and want and give preference to operational and technical employees and privacy that understand the law and understand the regulations and can connect the dots between at least regulatory speaking, what we're being held to as a baseline of compliance and what the technology you know, will do to help solve those problems and provide those solutions. And so if you have no idea you know, what GDPR is, I think it's hard to break into privacy as a technical or operations professional and you're still gonna need to learn those laws. Yeah, and I think that role of what we say privacy technologist or privacy engineer is coming up more and more because the front end, the law, the policy, the procedure, the process, that part is done. And now we are looking at being able to interpret privacy design by design, being able to put it into technology and that side, it's still picking up, isn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, most of the jobs at, you know, big tech are now moving into very sophisticated engineering product technology kind of opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that their legal departments aren't robust with opportunities as well, um, but they are becoming more specialized and they are becoming more siloed at the larger companies because they've got really mature privacy programs. Whereas at a pre-IPO company, you might have one person in the general counsel's office who's running the program is the program also handles all the contracts also handles all the strategy also handles all the negotiations of data brokering i mean it it, it could it could be a, a, another catch-all you know wear a thousand hats um until we go public and have more funds kind of an opportunity but generally speaking if you're talking about fortune 1000 companies yeah i mean there's gonna be a lot of jobs for tech and not just engineering um enterprise level product level but I also think really getting involved with technology. Um, some of it will be third party, but a lot of big companies are building their own privacy tech, right? They're looking internally to their um, internal programming departments to help build them certain modules, DSAR automations, things like that. Uh, so if you have experience working with program teams, programmers and programming teams to create uh, technologies internally at corporations, that now becomes a transferable skill in privacy as well. Indeed, that's what I transferred when I moved to privacy because I was, yeah. I mean, I am still an engineer, but I had the IT experience. And when I came to privacy, it was about data, privacy, legal compliance, all those things. 
privacy, legal and compliance, most people can understand, but connecting it to the technology was where I was able to differentiate. So you say it right. It, people are now trying to expect that rather than having one person who specializes in everything, they are looking at silo-based. So one well, specializing it, it depends, Puneet, right? It's, it's how mature they are. You know, if you're working at, you know, one of the FANG stocks, then yeah, they've got a really robust, highly diversified, compartmentalized privacy program because, you know, some of them are the most unregulated. Um, mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how the most hyper-regulated have some of the least amount of staff on board, right? Financial banking and brokerage, um, a lot of hospitals, uh, highly regulated, very few privacy prof professionals, you know, because mainly they're holding the bottom line as it relates to regulation, whereas mm -hmm. a lot of these more mature programs are creating their own ethical ceiling as opposed to focusing on the regulatory floor because there is no, I mean, there's a very low regulatory floor in terms of what they can do with the data. Yeah. And now in all this space for the hiring managers, for the people who are wanting to be hired or some people in between looking to what should I do, what shouldn't I do? Where does true fall in? Meaning how does true help connect both sides? Yeah, I mean, we we enjoy and sit in a really wonderful place in the market where, you know, we're brokering human capital, but we're also advising on how best to approach being brokered and looking to buy, you know, uh, talent. Um, so the way we work is we have deep, meaningful relationships on both sides of the fence and teams mm -hmm. and teams of people that are constantly out there developing these relationships so that when the time comes, we can, you know, in a very old school sense of the word, be great matchmakers. Um, and matchmaking has a lot more to do with skill set. Matchmaking has to do with style and personality and judgment um, and temperament. Um, and, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on being data privacy experts here. We have our own IAPP certified professionals on staff in our organization who run our business development and recruitment programs. Um, but I think the greatest asset is that we know when people will be great together and that when they are together, they are better together than alone and or with others. Uh, and I think that's a really hard skill to learn and harness that we're really proud of. Who pays? you in case because sometimes consult uh, people are like maybe they will charge me i should not go to them so how does it work let's make it explicit for people if you are okay it's so simple we always get paid by the hiring managers by, by the companies we never get paid by the candidate we never get paid by the job seeker we never ask for money from job seekers prior to representing them uh, it is a it is a circle of trust it is a circle of trust and so you know we get paid by the hiring managers um, often we get retained by them where, you know, they pay us upfront exclusively mm -hmm. to represent them and go to market with them. Uh, other times it's contingent. Other times it's contract. Uh, when there's an opportunity for someone to come on our payroll and we work in all sorts of different modalities for contractors, whether it's part-time, contract to hire, uh, perpetual contracting, short-term paternity leave, long-term contract solutions because companies can't get headcount. I mean, we have tons and tons of contractors and privacy contracting is accelerating and hiring managers are adopting contracting more and more. Um, and, you know, we're, we're able to provide all of those kinds of options for both candidates and for customers. 
I think based on my experience and having asked some of my colleagues or people who work with me to find a job with you, I can also add that if you're in doubt, should you search, where should you search, how you should position, Jared and his team also help you in, say, positioning yourself and also reviewing your CV before just floating it around like it's just a piece of paper. It's not, they do take care of you. Yeah, it's a process, right? I mean, sometimes for some candidates, we ask them to create resumes that are very specific for specific opportunities in order to draw attention to aspects of their experience or skill set that we want to highlight or heighten in terms of visibility on the resume. And subtle adjustments like that can be the difference between your resume getting glossed over and it being the one that rises to the top of the stack. So we're definitely involved in that process. But really, like, that's the fun of this job, guys. I mean, listen, if I was just pushing paper out and sending resumes, like, what a boring job. And why would you want to work with me? I'd be a really boring person to get to know. And so would my staff. They'd be a bunch of paper pushers. But my staff are fascinating, interesting, warm, intelligent, you know, um, caring people who enjoy the process of getting to know who we're going to be representing and really being the most authentic in how we represent companies and individuals to each other. So um, if you've never been represented, if you've never had an agent, I mean, look, we're trying to give our people the Jerry Maguire experience. We really are. Um, and, and if you don't understand that reference, get into Cameron Crowe for a day. <laughs> okay so what's the best way to contact you or your team go to the website and then yeah it's always best to just go to the website there's a ton of information there there's um uh, a ton of different ways to contact us you can register to receive our hot jobs newsletter which comes out every week uh, if you're a customer you can uh, who's looking to hire you can receive our contract staffing newsletter which comes out every week uh, we also have a number of different quarterly newsletters if you just want to receive things quarterly. If you see a job you like, you can apply for it directly and get a specific agent who works on that customer and client to reach out to you to tell you more about that opportunity. You could also apply for um, just broad representation if you're not actively looking, but you know you might be in the next three to 12 months and you just want to talk to somebody about where you're at, and where your head's at, and you're trying to figure out the why of why you might want to go to market, but you feel intuitively that it might be time and you need someone who's a third party to talk about it with. We're happy to have that mm -hmm. conversation. You can just apply directly to our privacy application online. Um, it'll give you a lot of information about um, us. And also we have checklists too. If you're a technologist, we just released our one trust checklist uh, where you can actually go through and rank yourself on skill sets for one trust. And then we use that to help uh, evangelize you with customers who are specifically looking for nuanced skill sets in one trust, which is a rising demand on the technology side of things. So there's like a lot of different ways to get in touch with us. You can pick up the phone and call any one of us. All of our contact information and phone numbers are on our website. Um, we don't work regionally. Uh, all of our people kind of work on everything. So if there's a specific job that piques your interest, you should apply to that directly. Perfect. So that's so helpful. And with that, I would say, let's call it time. Thank you so much for the wonderful insights. And if somebody needs more details, the best way is go to the True Staffing Partners website and even download the 2022 data privacy job report. Because I have gone through it, it's immensely helpful. And it gives you a lot more information from both sides, whether you are a hiring manager or somebody looking to get hired. And yes, Jared and his team are wonderful indeed. You can always contact them. So thanks, Jared, for being with us.
You're too kind. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy our talks. Thanks. Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www.fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit, the number four, privacy.com. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, feel free to share it with a friend and write a review. If you have already done so, thank you so much. And if you did not like the show, don't bother and forget about it. Take care and stay safe. Until next time, goodbye. If you have questions or suggestions, feel free to drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. That's hello at F-I-T, the number four, privacy.com.